0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Story Slam Podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories recorded at our live events in Bristol, UK. All the stories you're going to hear are true and come straight from our audience. We release episodes every Thursday, where you'll get to hear the next part of our recorded show. If you have a story that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear it, so please stay tuned till the end for more information on how you can do that. Make sure that you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast, and other than that, enjoy the show.
1: So, here we are again for another week of the Story Slam podcast. It's part four of The Unknown, and we're on episode 12. So next week, there is one more week before our actual Live Slam, one more Thursday to come. So we're going to be recording a special podcast for you. We're going to be talking about how the Story Slam started, where we've come from, where we're aiming to go. Hopefully it's going to be really interesting, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. So for now, enjoy the final part of The Unknown, and we'll see you next week.
2: The name of our next storyteller is... Ooh... David Grant. Amazing. David, I'm going to give you a minute while I just read one of these stories, and then you can tell us about the unknown. Starting uni five years ago, went from awkward fresher to awkward graduate who can handle drink a bit better. (laughs) Worth 27 grand. I don't know what
3: is.
2: (laughs) I've just, yeah, I have done the exact same thing. Um, Amazing. Big round of applause for David.
3: Um, so this is kind of a story about something getting like blown massively out of proportion and how being in a fishbowl is kind of weird. So I went on an exchange project uh, for about six months to South Africa and we were partnered up with people on this project. Uh, this was when I was about 19 years old and um, so I get partnered up with this guy called Happy, which is probably one of the most ironic names in history. <laughs> um, so. The idea was that you're supposed to be partnered up with people about similar ages and we're all going to go do sort of voluntary stuff, it's all going to be lovely. And it turns out he's about 35 and was involved in the liberation of South Africa and so was quite a scary guy. But anyway, we're sharing a bed for three months straight. Uh, (laughs) And one of the other guys on the course basically said something that got taken massively out of context and got accused of being a racist. And it all blew up. This all what happened, in fact, whilst I was asleep. And so I woke up to find that everyone hated each other and it was all going to shit, uh, which was great. And we did a lot of processing and everyone dealt with it. And we all kind of came together in a series of sessions to deal with how we felt about what had happened and to talk about how none of us really meant anything that had been said and that it was all just a thing that had occurred. But anyway, me and Happy don't speak for... Eight weeks? Eight weeks, yeah. We're still sharing a bed for six of those weeks. Uh, <laughs> we then come back. The exchange project goes from South Africa to Swansea. Uh, we come back and we, we slightly upgrade the scenario. We're in bunk beds now, so it's a little bit less intimate, but we still, we're still not talking. I mean, we maybe say hello across the breakfast table. It's a really weird scenario. Anyway, so I'm living with this guy who I, who I think has probably killed people. Not quite sure. Like, he's kind of implied he did stuff. Um, yeah, he's quite a scary dude, like, really intense. And it ends up, we're about two weeks into us being in Swansea, and I know he's got mates in London that he's been talking to and stuff. And anyway, it gets to this night, and I'm sat there having worked all day, and he just walks into the room, and we still haven't really exchanged any presentries, he drops a four-pack of Strong Oil on the bed. And he's just like, drink those, we're going out. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> And there's part of my brain that's going, oh, you're, you're, you're going to die, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> he's a scary guy. And he wants to go out drinking with you. And we haven't talked about anything. And so I was kind of sad. there, like, fuck. Dude. Fuck. <laughs> uh, but then part of my brain went, no, no, no. That's wrong. He's a good guy. You he know he's a good guy. He's been involved in this project. And generally, people are generally good, like, kind of thing. Um, So I drink the (laughs) Strongbow. And we go out, and we're walking into town, and the walk into town features some really, really lovely, really, really dark alleyways, and lots and lots (laughs) of corners where anybody could be waiting. And the entire way, I'm just going, fuck, this is going scary. But we get to this first pub, and he buys two pints. And he turns around to me and says... Bet you thought you were in trouble back there. (laughs) And so the kind of, the moral of the story is that when you're faced with an unknown scenario like that, when you're faced with anything like that, especially scary things, you can act in fear or you can act in love. And you should always choose to act in love. Cheers.
2: not a bad moral to a story, to act in love, not fear. Has anyone seen Donnie Darko? <laughs> right? That's what that was. It's, I think it, it was... A, it was a long film. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much. So cool. Oh, um... Yeah, thank you for your story. Okay. Meanwhile, my great aunt always kept her middle name a secret. One day... My sister tried all the intrigue she knew to prize it out of her. She succeeded after promising to keep it a secret and promptly returned to tell us all. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing fully well what she was up to, my great-aunt had told her it was Meshuggahna, the, <laughs> the Yiddish for crazy. <laughs> oh... I felt like there were some people who understood in, this, in the audience, which <laughs> just helps. Yeah, you do, yeah. Um, amazing! And then our next storyteller is Chloe! Woo. <laughs> Woo. Um, and there's... Um, uh, the content warning is passing mention of... It's either sexual incidents or... Um, I can't tell what the other word is, but passing mention of sexual something. And in the meantime, I recently met profecus, Professor Marcus Du toy I recently met Professor Marcus Du toy okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, who gave a lecture entitled, What We Cannot Know. He's a mathematician asking which questions of the universe we can categorically say we'll never know the answers to. Deep man, deep. Yeah. Yeah, he's a mathematician. <laughs> He's a cool guy. Um, Lovely, yeah. I mean, probably I'd recommend the book. It's really cool, yeah. Oh, there's nothing to say about Marcus Dessus. He's just great. I was planning to tell a story today about my first lesbian experience, but I got so drunk last night I don't think I'm capable of standing up to tell it. Maybe next time. Next time! Next time! exactly and we've got like loads of i don't actually know if we'll get through everyone today so i'm really sorry but we'll 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 have a look now let's give a massive round of applause to chloe oh, thank you
4: oh there's actually quite a lot of you this is quite scary <laughs> um, uh, so when i was 18 um I took an internship in London, um, and being from Newcastle, this very unfortunately meant that I actually had to go and live in London. Um, and I found myself in some quite um, unusual living circumstances by virtue of the fact that um, I was on an unpaid internship, and so I was pretty much having to pay to live uh, whilst I was there. And the first flat that I took was, um, it was a spare room going in the house of someone I'd found on Airbnb. Um, who, from his picture, like, it was this black-and-white picture of him with an elephant, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, we both like elephants, we'll probably get on. <laughs> um, yeah. And he looked about, like, 25 in the picture, um, so I thought, you know, we're, we're close-ish in age, it'll probably be fine, uh, maybe he'll he'll befriend me and um, London will seem less scary. Um, when I arrived, um, the taxi arrived on what was this Market Street in London that looked so dodgy that the taxi driver actually turned to me and asked me to check the address before he dropped me off. Um, I then found myself walking into what was an abandoned factory building. Um, <laughs> and it looked as though the room had been crafted from the guy's bare hands. Now, I should add at this point that he was actually about mid-40s. Um, but it felt safe because he was a teacher. Um, I'm not sure why, but <laughs> but it felt safe. So, so it was all fine. Um, and I was living in this room that um, Like, it looked as though he'd made it with a staple gun and just a sheet. Um, So it wasn't particularly reassuring, given that if he did want to, like, come into my room at the night, all he'd have to do is get a biro to tear the wall down. (laughs) Um, And the situation kind of got worse and worse, as, um, like, he wasn't a bad guy, but he was quite odd, and he would just fall asleep in the middle of the living room, like, all hours of the day. Um, So it wasn't a particularly sociable experience. But also this um, quite questionable market street meant that every morning on my way to work, I found myself getting harassed, and actually one night I was attacked on my way home. And... Mm -hmm. Um my, my colleagues were obviously quite concerned about this. So very nicely, the director of the organization I was working at suggested that I might like to spend the rest of my internship cat-sitting for her, and instead move into her house. Um, so I moved across London and to another completely <laughs> unknown location, and something I should probably mention at this point is I'm not very good at being in houses by myself. Um, it heightens um, quite a significant security anxiety. So, I arrive at this house and spend the first night checking everything, checking all of the doors are double locked, opening every cupboard to make sure there's not someone standing in them, checking under all of the beds, you know, as you do. Um, And um, as part of this, I close off all of the doors in the flat that I know I'm not going to need access to. So it's actually, it's two flats. And I'm living in the top one. Can't close off the downstairs kitchen because the cat will need to get outside. Um, But everything else is closed off. Um, The following day, I go to work. And I come home in in the evening, and I can't find the cat. And suddenly I hear this meowing and um, I start hunting through the house and I come to one of the doors that I knew I'd closed the night before and find the cat in there and I think, oh, this is really hot. But I think, you know what, I've probably just not closed the door correctly. Um, So get the cat out, close the door properly and think nothing more of it. I mean, I say I think nothing more of it, of course I check under all of the beds, open all of the cupboards, (laughs) close off all of the doors again because, you know, just want to check there's no one there. Um, So the next day, I go to work, and I come home, and again, I can't find the cat. And the cat's back in this room. And I'm thinking, is there, like, an access point to the house that I just don't know about? So investigate, like, all of the walls in the room, can't find anything, close off again, and try to put it out of my mind. By which, again, I mean, I, you know, check that there's no one in the bath, check under the beds, (laughs) lock off all the doors again. Um, Now, it gets to the weekend, and um, I don't know anyone in London, so most of my weekends involve just sitting in the flat doing nothing. Um, so I'm sat upstairs with the cat when I hear what sounds like the door opening very, very close. Um, so naturally, I grab the cat for my defence um, <laughs> and walk to the top of the staircase, and I look down and I see an arm coming around the edge of the door and pulling the chain. <laughs> As I'm just about to throw the cat and <laughs> um, I see the stepdaughter of the woman's house I'm staying in. So, obviously, I'm fine, and I lived to the table of the tail. She was lovely. Um, now, what I would say is, when there is someone staying in your house, um, generally, before you re-enter it, un, un, like, without announcement, it helps that if they've got the chain on, just knock. Um, and that's all. Thank you. <laughs>
2: as well oh, thank you so much that was really fun um, not for you <laughs> but you know in the retelling of it yeah Oh, amazing now very sadly we've only got time for one more storyteller
3: Aww.
2: so I'm going to shuffle it out of fairness um While Gabriel is just getting ready, two stories. I hired a van when moving to Bristol a couple months ago with the knowledge that if I had an accident, the insurance would be 800 pound excess. Five grand later, a massive unknown. Oh no. So I cycle, so I can't, (laughs) I can't, can't relate. Um, but I'm trying to use my empathy that would suck okay. I'm sorry oh no um, story, story of the unknown parts of a new friendship I met a bus driver who asked me to help him fix his boat thought that was a great idea didn't know that he would vote leave in the referendum <laughs> after I accepted his Facebook request he unfriended me when he found out I was Remain oh. never got to finish the boat Country. <laughs> okay. Um, and now the um, massive round of applause for Gabriel.
1: Hello. Um, so my story starts with uncertainty um, or the unknown. Um, so I was travelling in India for most of this year, um, and I had an idea at one point towards the end of my trip that it might be nice to kind of finish it off with a meditation workshop of some sort. Um, but by the time I got round to applying, the way, the um, it was, the course was already full, and uh, so that it was all had gone onto the waiting list. Uh, so I put my name on the waiting list, um, and at this point I was in Nepal, several thousand miles away from where the meditation centre was. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to get a place on the course, um, but they just their advice was just turn up anyway. Um, so I I I did. I travelled several thousand miles by bus, um, in, of an international border between Nepal and India. Um, there's a lot of bus journeys in this, this story actually, um, <laughs> and it took three days uh, of um, constant bus journey. Um, by the time I got to uh, Dharamsala, which is where the meditation workshop was, high in the Himalayas, um, I was a bit worse for wear, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, and I showed up at the meditation center. I would climbed, basically climbed a massive mountain with a big backpack on my back. I had no idea whether I was going to get on the course or not. Um, and I was sat down waiting. All of the people on the waiting list had to uh, wait together to see if they would get a place. Um, and in my head, the whole time I was thinking, this is a test, this is a test, that you must not be attached. You must, you must be very Buddhist about the whole thing. If you want this, then it won't happen. But, but then now I'm thinking that if I want this, then I have to think that I don't want it, and, you know... I, 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 <laughs> so um, I tried to clear my mind. I tried to be very Zen about the whole thing. Um, and as I was sitting there, um, I was just sort of looking down. I looked up and I saw the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I was instantly completely smitten um, and uh, i didn't I didn't get a chance to speak to him at that point I then found out that I was I did have a place on the course um, and from that time on it was 10 days of complete silence um having just seen the man of my dreams um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then so I was very happy to get a place on the course um, I went up to the dormitory to put my Things down in um, in the dormitory, and the the guy um, was in the bed next to me. Um, I thought, great, um, t- <laughs> ten days of silence, and, uh, and not you're not even supposed to look at people or communicate in any way, really, with other people. Um, so that was the beginning of an interesting time. Um, I also then realised that the Brexit vote would be taking place two days before the end of. The retreat, and I was completely cut off from the outside world for the whole time that I was there. So I knew um, that there would be two terrible days where I, I didn't know what was happening. Um, so anyway, so uh, the, the retreat was amazing. Um, but and as I was, you know, meditating on um, how attachment leads to suffering, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of suffering, a lot of, you know get rid of your attachment. Uh, this was the main theme of, of the of the retreat. Um, I was becoming increasingly attached to a guy who I'd never spoken to, but um, <laughs> was spending most of all day, every day, uh, spending quite a lot of time looking at. And you know how when you really like someone, you know exactly where they are all the time. Um, <laughs> and, and you're kind of doing this and you're you know, looking here, and you're like, oh, did, did he, is he looking at me? Or like, oh, did, I, did he see me looking at me? What? I shouldn't be thinking about this, I shouldn't be thinking about this. I was writing in my diary at the time. I, f- I must have filled pages and pages about him, ab- ab- more pages about how I shouldn't be writing about him and how I should be <laughs> concentrating on becoming enlightened and getting rid of all of my attachment to, to things, especially people I've never met or spoken to. Um, and uh, so... Um, Two days before the end of the course, I knew that Brexit was happening. Um, and also, um, two days before the end of the course, I went up to my dorm and his bed was empty and he was gone. Um, and for a moment I was like, he's gone, that's it. He's left He's left my life, I'll never get a chance to find out anything about him. Um, but then I saw, uh, I, went, I w- went over to my bed and there on the pillow of my bed was... A rather long note, which he had written me, um, and uh, I was very pleased by this, mm-hmm. trying not to be too pleased, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, but so, so then, for the last two days of of the, of the retreat, I was um, conflicted about my feelings about Brexit and my feelings about this guy, and um, not kn- not knowing, I was uh, I was in a state of great unknowing Um, but I was able to kind of you know stay sane more or less Um, so then when I came out of the retreat and I found out the Brexit result I was I was very I was you know I was very down about that that was I was a Remainer Um, and but I'd written in my diary just before I left the retreat I said if if it was going to be one or the other I would lose the boy and keep (laughs) keep the EU (laughs) (laughs) Um, and Unfortunately, it happened the other way around. Um, when I got out of um, the, the uh, retreat, um, he'd already moved on to another town. Um, I got in touch with him, um, and I, I just heard that it's the um, time, time to finish. Um, but then the other unknown was, I didn't really know how he felt about me. Um, and I took a gamble, and I went on another 10-hour bus journey through the Himalayas to the town where he'd gone on to just to have coffee with him and see what what the deal was basically, <laughs> and um, we we got along we got along really well and we had a a, a brief encounter and it was beautiful uh, and then I freaked out a little bit and then I had to run away to the Taj Mahal and uh, I left him a very long note and he couldn't read it because he was Israeli and my handwriting is terrible and. Um, <laughs> So then I had to explain everything to him on Facebook. But anyway, um, the moral of the story is um, I faced lots of unknowns and um, it, was, it was fine. Um, <laughs> in the end.
2: where I was like rooting for you and him like even more than like us and the EU (laughs) I was like oh I just want oh the letter oh my god oh what a classic love story yeah write it down (laughs) um amazing we've actually gone over a tiny bit so I'm afraid yeah like I said we I'm really sorry we can't do all of the storytellers. If you put your name in the hat, please do come back next month and just wiggle your way into that month's theme. I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, Um, yeah. But thank you so much, all of you, for coming. Just a few housekeeping things. If you could, if you have a glass or a plate or anything, if you could bring it up to the bar for us, that would just really help us out so then we don't have to bring it. Um, And also if, I know the storytellers get to tick something on the box, but if you were photographed and you didn't want to be uh, do just let one of us know someone who looks like they work here, or the box office, or Elsa the photographer, or someone like that. Um, and obviously tune into our podcast. I think our domain name for our website is storyslam.co.uk, right? Like take that, London, <laughs> right? Like we're not just Bristol Story Slam; we're the Story Slam UK. So, oh, happy, happy. Um, okay, everyone, have a wonderful month. Our next uh, next event is the Sunday 20th of November that month, next month Sunday 20th of November 2pm, same time, same space and follow us on Facebook and you can find out what the theme is Um, and just have a lovely day and a great journey home goodbye (laughs)
0: That is the end of our show for today. We hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to tune in next week for more true stories told live on stage. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at speakeasystorieslam at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. We can get more news about the slam, but also see photos from the event. Um, also, if you'd like to tell us a story in person, then please come join us for our live events. They are every third Sunday of the month at the Wardrobe Theatre in Bristol, UK. We can't wait to see you. So from everyone here at Slam, have a great week.